Welcome to this special Thanksgiving edition of Shipwreck Sunday, where we investigate disasters at sea and the impact that they have on the world today. My name is Eleanor. Today, we will be discussing the history of dazzle camouflage and vessels that were painted in dazzle paint. Before we dive in, I must inform you. This story does include details of maritime disasters resulting in the loss of vessels, wartime violence, Nazism, and death that may be disturbing to some audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Please note before I begin that I am not a mariner or expert in the field of maritime history, but I have done my research and will present the information as I understand it and with accurate nautical terminology. In today's episode, I will be including the basics of nautical terminology in the description for anyone who needs it. Today, there will be some terms in the German language in which I am not fluent, but I will do my best to give accurate pronunciations. For everyone who celebrates, Happy Thanksgiving! I also have to say I'm so glad to see how many people love dazzle paint as much as I do. It's really an interesting concept, especially when you see it and realize it's camouflage. Without further ado, let's get into the turkey and stuffing of this episode. Dazzle camouflage, also known as Razzle Dazzle United States, or dazzle painting, is a type of ship camouflage developed by Norman Wilkinson, a British marine artist. The paint scheme was used extensively throughout World War I, and to a lesser extent in World War II and onward. It consists of complex patterns of geometric shapes that intersect and interrupt each other in loud, contrasting colors. When you first see dazzle paint, you might ask yourself, how is that supposed to be camouflage? In essence, it is camouflage, but really it is more of an optical illusion meant to confuse a person looking at a ship. It makes it difficult to discern the stern from the bow or to tell which direction the ship is traveling, and in that way, it made it very difficult for U-boats to launch torpedoes. The Allied forces had tried to develop many other kinds of camouflage for ships that just didn't work. They tried disguising the ships as floating islands, with branches, leaves, and bushes dotted all over the thing, but most islands aren't that linear and don't have smoke coming out of them. They even tried decorating ships entirely in mirrors to make it look invisible against the water, which in theory sounds genius, but in practice, the sunlight bounced off the sides of the mirrors and just made it even more visible. Normally, ships were painted navy gray to conceal against a gray background, but it was still easy to see them and tell where they were going. What were they to do if no matter what they did, the ships were impossible to hide? Originally, the idea was proposed by British zoologist John Graham Kerr to create patterns with bright, contrasting colors. The idea was to confuse the viewer and make it difficult to tell what part of the ship is being viewed or what direction the ship is sailing. It's what is called disruptive camouflage, and Kerr's idea was to make it similar to zebra stripes, giraffe print, or jaguar spots. He detailed his plan to confuse, not conceal, in a 1914 letter to Winston Churchill, stating an example that if you use zebra-like vertical striping, it would confuse where the masts would be with the regular white banding. It would make targeting ships much more difficult. As well as this, the use of countershading to disguise flat surfaces and recognizable shapes on ships would make it hard to tell where the ship's guns are. The Admiralty claimed to have tried, quote, various trials of this in July of 1915, deciding to instead go with the monotone gray that would turn out to not help with camouflage at all. Another man in the United States thought the dazzle camouflage theory was a fantastic idea, and he was an American artist by the name of Abbott Henderson Thayer. 
He was famous for his realistic paintings of portraits, figures, animals, and landscapes, and for becoming a naturalist, fascinated by the natural patterns and shapes found in animals' fur and by plants. He also wrote a controversial book in 1909 called Concealing Coloration in the Animal Kingdom. And because of this fascination with nature, he would implore the usage of different shapes, patterns, and colors for disguising warships in a February 1915 letter to Churchill. However, just like with Kerr, Churchill and the Admiralty would argue against him, stating that his idea and Kerr's were, quote, freak methods of painting ships of academic interest, but not of practical advantage. Ouch. Kerr had given Thayer a warm welcome when he went to plead with the Admiralty in November of 1915. Both of the men convinced dazzle paint was the way to go. A marine artist and Royal Naval Volunteer Reserve officer named Norman Wilkinson agreed with Kerr and Thayer's proposals that the aim to confuse instead of conceal was the best course of action. And as we all know, he is the man credited with creating dazzle camouflage. Wilkinson fine-tuned these ideas, however, one could say. With his naval experience, he knew it was not only important to confuse sizes, shapes, flat surfaces, and masts, but that it was equally important to make the enemy unable to determine a ship's size, speed, type, and heading, so that the enemy would be tricked into taking poor firing positions. His goal was to make it so an enemy in their U-boat would look out of their periscope and be unable to tell if they are looking at the bow or stern of the ship, or whether the ship was moving toward or away from them. He advocated for, quote, masses of strongly contrasted color to confuse the enemy, and with lighting changing throughout the day, the dazzle color would always shift and look different. Even if the ship was more visible, it would be nearly impossible to tell where it was going. Dazzle was made because of the need for disguising ships. The Admiralty had already rejected Kerr's proposal despite its scientific validity in favor of Wilkinson, who was socially well-connected in the military. Kerr also had clear, concise, logical reasoning based upon his years of study, while Wilkinson gave simple, inspirational reasons based upon his experience as an artist. Though this doesn't invalidate Wilkinson, it does make one raise an eyebrow about why the Admiralty would favor that over scientific reasoning. In all likelihood, it's probably because they were already comfortable with Wilkinson, and the relationship with Kerr was awkward because of Kerr's relentlessness and stubborn nature. Wilkinson claimed he didn't know about Kerr and Thayer's theories before submitting his theory for dazzle painting. He admitted he'd only heard of the, quote, old invisibility idea from Roman times. Throughout the war, after 1917, following many merchant ships being lost, they finally turned to Kerr and Wilkinson's ideas of dazzle painting. Kerr had never given up on the idea of the military using it, with Churchill going back and forth on whether or not to use it. Finally, Wilkinson, then a lieutenant commander on Royal Navy patrol duty, pushed the beginnings of it with SS Industry, a merchant ship. He was put in charge of camouflaging large groups of merchant vessels, with over 4,000 British merchant ships being painted with dazzle paint, and over 400 naval vessels also receiving the paint scheme. All of this rapid camouflaging of ships beginning mainly in August of 1917. Even airplanes during World War I and World War II would receive dazzle camouflages occasionally. However, with the acceptance from the Admiralty came the argument of who really came up with dazzle paint after the war, starting October 27, 1919. Was it Kerr, or was it Wilkinson? 
In the end, Wilkinson was given the credit, Kerr receiving little to no recognition for his contributions to it. Wilkinson received 2,000 pounds for the invention, with Kerr being left out in the cold, being told by the Admiralty in October of 1920 that he'd had no part in it. I personally would like to give John Graham Kerr some recognition. Though Norman Wilkinson did come up with the final accepted concept, Kerr definitely had the right idea and was on the right track. Calculations for how effective dazzle paint was is hard to calculate. The numbers of ships torpedoed that were dazzled and not is very close, and usually dazzled ships were larger than non-dazzled, so it's not a very fair comparison. However, it was effective enough to be noted, and we used extensively throughout World War I and into World War II. In 1918, when numbers were crunched, dazzled ships were attacked 1.47% of sailings, while non-dazzled were attacked in 1.12% of sailings, most likely because they were just so noticeable and it was a challenge for the U-boats. However, when it came to sinkings due to torpedoes, 43% of ships sunk with torpedoes during World War I were dazzled, compared to the 54% that were not. 41% of dazzled ships were hit amidships, since it was harder to see which direction the ship was going to hit the bow or stern, compared to 52% of the uncamouflaged ships. Of the ships in dazzle paint, 38% of them were over 5,000 tons, where only 13% of the undazzled were that large. Clearly, dazzle paint was being used to camouflage larger vessels to save them from sinking. From the numbers, it looks like it was at least marginally successful to me, but again, with how varied the data is, it is hard to tell simply by numbers. Regardless of its effectiveness, it is incredibly cool. There are a few ships and other vehicles in modern times that are painted in a dazzle-esque pattern, but it's mostly for aesthetic reasons and to recall these times where having a dazzle-painted vessel could be the difference between life and death. Dazzle paint isn't nearly as popular as it used to be, but it's still a very interesting part of military history. My personal favorite dazzle-painted vessels were the Olympic and Mauritania. What are yours? Let us know down in the comment section. Thank you for tuning in to this special bonus episode of Shipwreck Sunday. If you liked this episode and are listening on YouTube, please give us a like, leave us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. If you liked this episode and are listening on Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, or another podcast service, please subscribe for more content and leave us a five-star review as it does help us reach more listeners like you. If you have any ships you'd like us to cover, please leave us a comment and you might hear your suggestion. Check out our community tab here on the channel, and check out our second channel, Speed Force Media. Tune in this Sunday for the story of the SS Princess Louise, a floating restaurant that met a sad end. Have a great week, have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you next time.